gets a gas, grab that cash with both hands and make a stash, everyone. And welcome to Shift F1, a podcast about speedy race cars. Uh, boy, we have a lot to talk oh about. Uh, mainly money in this episode, but also a super amazing race. Uh, I am Drew Scanlon. Joining me is Danny O'Dwyer. How are you, Danny? I am doing just fantastically, Drew. I've been looking forward to talking to you boys about this. I was looking forward to it from almost the moment we stopped last week's episode when (laughs) the story started to break. Then throughout what was one of the most enjoyable race weekends I've uh, witnessed in a long time. And then up until like an hour before the podcast when more news kept breaking about this energy drink fiasco. Um, Yeah, I mean, just from the fields of Northamptonshire to the gentlemen's club refrigerators of london we have something for everyone in uh in this week's podcast a tale of two stories if you will also joining us rob zachney how are you rob not too bad i suspect i'm doing better than william story's <laughs> former business partners uh in general <laughs> Uh, if you're new to the podcast, welcome. This is going to be a doozy. If you're new to Formula <laughs> One itself, uh, we do recommend listening to our preseason primer episode, which uh, assumes no prior F1 knowledge. And uh, I don't know. I wonder if we talk much about rich energy in that episode. Um, no, but from the sounds of it, we're going to have a, a rich energy primer at the start of this episode. Yeah, yeah, we'll do, we'll do that too. Uh, <laughs> but that episode will give you the lowdown on uh, how the sport works and who everybody is. And uh, if you want to listen to that, it's episode 59. Uh, also, the show is supported entirely by our audience at patreon.com slash shift F1. So every month we release at least one bonus podcast and uh, a bonus video exclusively for our patrons covering racing documentaries and films, F1 video games, primers for other racing series, and a lot of weird stuff. So uh, if you'd like to support the show and get access to all that fun stuff, head over to patreon.com slash shift F1 or click the link in the show notes. Uh, What what was going on in Patreon land this month, Danny? Uh, Only yesterday, or a couple of days ago, sorry, we posted the second episode of our Drive to Survive uh, review, as it were. Uh, This was covering episodes four through six of the Netflix series. Um, It was a lot of fun. We recorded it last week, uh, and those three episodes, I feel like, um, or we kind of all came to the consensus that they're maybe the three strongest. Um, Yeah. Certainly very interesting, considering... Uh, what's going on uh, this year in the sport. And it also kind of aligned up nicely with where we are in the season. So, uh, yeah, if you want to listen to some more of us yammering about um, uh, F1, uh, this is a good time to jump on and get that podcast. Uh, There will be voting for the F1 game history of July uh, up this weekend because we don't have a race. Um, So uh, if you're a patron, make sure to check your inbox so you can vote on which F1 game I get to play. It's usually the worst one you all vote for. So I look forward (laughs) to... Uh, really dusting off the cartridges again uh, next week. Well, uh, speaking of <laughs> garbage, <laughs> uh, who wants to who wants to do the primer on on from from the start of the season until say a week ago? Danny, do you want to try to sure? <laughs> let's bundle yeah, this all let's, up. Let's go back. Let's have a fever. Join me on a fever dream into a sort of a, a you know we try and. We try and reach out on this podcast out into the world, the the broader culture of Formula One, because we can't just talk about the races every week. That would be kind of boring. So we try and mix it up and go out into film and media and news and mechanics and all this sort of stuff. And we, we sort of, I feel like rich energy was something that we we hooked onto sort of because it just seemed weird in a in a rather buttoned down sport. Um 
and I honestly cannot believe that it has escalated to this point and this quickly. <laughs> like we're less than halfway through the season, and the story—if it—if it hasn't reached its climax, we're certainly at the end of the two towers, and God knows what's what's uh, what's going to happen next. But yeah, so I guess Rich Energy kind of came on everyone's radar even before the season started. There was some interest in the livery when it was first announced. It was the sort of the black and gold, that sort of Senna-esque old livery that they were bringing back um, and uh, on the Haas car, sorry. Uh, and, and one of the things that happened almost immediately after they showed off the car was there was this uh, court case which a couple of people, I think it was the Telegraph might have been the first paper that reported on it. Between the Rich Energy, this energy drink company that nobody seemed to really know about, um, and a uh, a custom uh, race bike manufacturer based out of the UK called White's Bikes. And in the preceding sort of weeks and months as the court case continued and we started to get drips of information from it, um, there was some sort of memefied reports just comparing the uh, logo that Rich Energy had and the one that White Spikes had, which were almost identical. Like they were, for all intents and purposes, the sort of main form of them were identical. There was a slight little change on it. And you can go, okay, well, you know, this happens. I know they're in the same country, but, you know, it's not that big a deal, I guess. And now, while this is happening, everyone's kind of got their eyes on the social media and stuff of Rich Energy and there's this, I think the first sort of weirdness, aside from the court case, which you could say, okay, maybe that was just like dumb bad luck. The first weirdness was this uh, photoshopped um, image of a pool where they were saying, the, the the Twitter account was saying like, oh, we're just chilling out at the business pool, you know, looking forward to the race. And the internet being the internet found that it was just a stock photograph of a pool that they had rather haphazardly uh, Googled the uh, the Rich Energy slash White Spikes logo onto the bottom of it. Um, so I think it really all kicked off a little bit after this in March when Jalopnik put up an, uh, an article that sort of dove into the, the, I guess, the history of Rich Energy as it was or as it is now and also what was going on with the White Spikes situation. And it just seemed like the deeper they went, the weirder it got. Like, not even the the more criminal or the more illicit. It just all seemed completely strange. Um, The trademark had originally been registered by a Croatian entrepreneur who was, like, into, like, Croatian hip-hop called uh, Drazen... I'm going to butcher this name. Apologies. Drazen... I think it's Mazdravic. And then the rest of... I guess it sort of... It disappeared into the ether and then it sort of re-emerged a couple of years later right after the Force India closure last year when this guy called William Story who basically kind of like looks like a a British ZZ Top fan um, uh, sort of... He doesn't look like a businessman, I guess. He, He turned up on the scene running this company with a bunch of money from some entrepreneurs in England who it just didn't, nothing seemed to add up. Nobody knew about this energy drink. He was using all of these people. These people had invested in it who clearly weren't involved before it was an energy drink company. Um, And there was a sort of an elder abuse maybe angle to it, or maybe there was a, you know, we're trying to, uh, what do you call it? Funneling cash, laundering, money laundering. 
angle to it, nobody could really understand because it seemed like these cans weren't actually, like nobody had ever heard of Rich Energy. So we put out the call out to like if anyone could actually get this stuff because it seemed like they were selling it in um, in gentlemen's clubs in England and that was about it. One of our intrepid fans found them, where was it again? Was it somewhere in Indianapolis? They Yeah, I think it was during a, um, a, a car race and... The, they had some there for the hospitality, right. as part of the hospitality suite. So uh, one of those was obtained and sent to us. And we drank on a patron-only behind-the-scenes taste test along with yeah. some beers we imported from the south of France. Thanks, Danny Ricardo. Um, and I guess all, while this is all happening, the notoriety of, of them on social media, and they've become this sort of F1 meme. And then there's like all this weird Twitter back and forth between them and White's bikes in public, where Roman Grosjean is, you know, sitting on a on a bike on a White's bike bike, even though they said they had, they didn't had never heard of them before. Um, and then, I guess, what was the last? What was the straw that broke the camel's back on this? Was it was it last week's tweet? Was that the was that the did anything else happen again? I mean, there, there had to have been something that was already happening by the time that, that tweet arrived, I suspect. Uh, but yeah, where we'd left things was, and we talked about this a little bit on the last show. Uh, so as part of the copyright infringement uh, lawsuit by White Bikes against Rich Energy, Rich Energy got pretty thoroughly obliterated uh, in, in court. But as part of the ongoing legal action, they were being ordered to open their books, particularly uh, the books concerning the sponsorship deal with the Haas F1 team. And we were talking about this last week because just everything about this company seemed like it was designed to evade easy accountability uh, you know, the the piece from uh, Alanis King and uh, Elizabeth Blackstock goes into this, but you know their only public filings prior to this season indicated they were a company with apparently no cash reserves. Uh, that they were registered officially at one of the Croatian co-founders' uh, addresses that he's used for other businesses of his, which looks like a private residence. So there were a lot of things that didn't match up, and. So as part of this uh, White Bikes lawsuit, which we're like, which they had escalated despite clearly not having a snowball's chance. Uh, so they they already uh, like adopted this policy of maximum confrontation, and then they gotten beaten badly in court, and they were being ordered to open their books. And, and I think they had to pay like forty five thousand dollars or pounds sterling as well. Right, and. Then, like, literally a day after we recorded uh, last week, this was in the wake of the Austrian GP, roughly, or like a week and a half removed from the from the Austrian Grand Prix, the Rich Energy Twitter account, which has been sort of going on rants throughout this entire process, which we always sort of wondered, who's the, who's the social media person at Rich Energy? Now we basically know it's it's William Story himself, uh, who's that ZZ Top-like figure uh, with uh, a lot of sort of murky and complicated business dealings in the past. Um, the Rich Energy Twitter account posts publicly that they are canceling their contract with Haas and it is because uh, Haas was beaten so badly by Red Bull at Austria and the 
team turned in such a bad performance at Austria that the position of the uh, of the Rich Energy uh, a tweeter was basically we aren't we're we're here to beat Red Bull. Uh, and performance like we saw at Austria is unacceptable. And also we want to get, a, get out of F1 anyway because it is getting so PC. <laughs> um, Bring back the grid girls. Yeah, so they went like <laughs> they went full Gamergate uh, or at least Edgelord uh, in, the, in, this, in this notice on Twitter. But then things get really strange Everyone underreacts. Haas basically like kind of play dumb about the entire situation. They're like, uh, we've got, as far as we know, sponsorship is still on. Contract is still good. Uh, we're not sure what's going on with, with like all Like, they that. don't pay every race, I'm sure. I'm sure it's like the type of deal that is paid up front. I've got some quotes here from uh, Gunther Steiner, team principal of Haas. Uh, quote, Poor Gunther. Jesus this is, Christ. I know. If his ear isn't bad enough. This is from uh, racefans.net, who I, I think Dieter Rankin here uh, has been asking him a few questions over the British Grand Prix weekend. Steiner says, quote, there's a clear line. They pay us for advertising and we do our job. I don't really care about that stuff. Uh, if somebody goes on Twitter, you know, there is a point where I'm like, I'm over 50 years old. I'm not in kindergarten anymore. Uh, there's more problems than that for him, to be honest. He should focus on that and uh, not how we start. So clearly even he knows something was going on in the background that maybe led him to do that tweet. I don't know. Yeah, I mean... I think something was probably going on that uh, Story was trying to get ahead of or distract from. But uh, so in the wake of this post, you've got Haas saying, yeah, we don't know what 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 the deal is. Uh, it's not our problem. And then the Rich Energy account starts tweeting some more, basically alleging now that whatever Haas are saying and whatever the rich energy spokespeople elsewhere in the company are saying, the sponsorship is done. Uh, rich and, uh, and Haas are, are, are finished and it's William Story's company and the other shareholders can't do anything. Uh, but they're trying to, and there's sort of this allegation that they're trying to oust, uh, William Story and take his company away, and then the Rich Energy account also starts posting like really explicit, uh, like basically just unredacted, um, like legal memos from lawyers claiming to represent Haas, and where this. So, Haas I love that is, we're not even close to the end. Sorry. Yeah, so Haas is pointing out a couple things. Um, first of all, that if Rich is ending the sponsorship with Haas, they are in breach of contract. Uh, they are uh, they're obligated. Their sponsorship deal runs through 1st December uh, 2022. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I did not know that. Yeah. Uh, and so there was a payment schedule. And then Haas's lawyers basically said... But you know what? Fine. We're not going to hold you to that. We're just going to make you pay the lump sum uh, up front as part For of For breaching the breach. contract? Yeah. So, yeah okay. And that would have come to $44 million up front. <laughs> oh, my um, God. Now, by the way, in the background of all this, White Bikes is saying, by the way, we haven't been paid. 
Like they are not the, right. they, by this point, they have been ordered to uh, pay damages and court fees to white bikes, and white is out there saying that that money hasn't shown up, which is like forty grand, right? Uh, yeah. So like yeah. Sm- okay. even small amounts are not coming through. Forty four million seems like it'd be tough to get from this uh, fr- from this company. So then, basically, like story makes clear, it is him. Uh, behind the Twitter account. So now he is like the true voice of rich energy. And he is also saying now that the Haas team was involved in trying to oust him from rich energy. So now he's saying that like Haas was plotting against him along with his former business partners. And uh, so (laughs) that... You know, ba- basically accusing them of well, actually, the real the the real bad faith actors here are Haas. Uh, he sort of likened it to it's like if I myself tried to get Gene Haas fired. Uh, you know, they basically came <laughs> yeah. into this partnership and immediately sure. started working with my enemies and my haters uh, to remove me from my own company. His haters, by the way, being the entirety of the F one community who who knows who he is (laughs) like yeah and uh even from the first like again in the original jalopnik report uh that king and blackstone uh blackstock uh published he had former associates going back to his previous business ventures who also just said on the record they didn't want to get into details but they didn't like how this guy did business Hmm. so uh so haas basically took the attitude that look yeah, sure, you want out of the deal, that's fine, but the contract is ironclad and you're going to pay what you owe. And then, uh, so today, we get word that William Story is officially out. He's gone. And so is Rich Energy, in point of fact. Uh, So we get this new, there's now a new... Energy, energy, energy drink manufacturer uh, that appears to like basically did a palette swap on Rich Energy, I guess, and now they are <laughs> Lightning Volt Limited. And it's funny you say palette swap because he also tweeted a picture of himself in a milk van full of pallets, <laughs> like before the race or something. Uh, right, right. And I don't even know what the burn was necessarily. It, like, was he just the trying car to like? Socks? Yeah, but then was he's he just driving it. But then he's driving it. It just no. Like, was he just trying to scupper the brand or something at that stage? Like, I don't. There's there's a bit of that, and also there's like old Xer tries to meme. I think right. going yeah. on there as well. Uh, but <laughs> then the the other good the, 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 there's nothing but good parts here. So <laughs> William Story then says, "By the way, I wasn't ousted. I sold my stake." Because I was so disgusted uh, by the dishonesty that surrounded me. Uh, basically, it was like full Wrath of Khan. Um, and, you know, said, like surrounded by my enemies, uh, I have washed my hands with the dirty business of energy drinks and Formula One. Uh, Post a picture of himself with Bernie, uh, Bernie Ecclestone uh, just because, which I guess is like... 
Well, I mean, Bernie, you know, I feel like Bernie Eccleston's a really good judge of character and only surrounds himself with people who are generally of a, a certain quality, you know? Right. Like, the, the question is, would, yeah, would Bernie take a bullet for William Story? That's, <laughs> or, or, sorry, a hail of bullets. I feel, uh, well, I feel like William Story is maybe twice as tall as Bernie Eccleston, so he'd probably have no choice. I think the beard adds a lot of, like, like he looks, I think, way taller just because he's got that right. long, like, dagger of beard. Uh so, here's the other question: Does Lightning, does Lightning Vault Limited? God, I hate that name. I hate that's it. the type. Of, that's the type of name that you come up with when you've got an hour to sign the paperwork. <laughs> that's true. Uh, I'd also <laughs> like to to point out uh, a link that was shared in the Cloth Map Discord. Yeah, Discord oh, by uh, Fiole. There is already a Vault energy drink. Of course there is. Like, with a backstory. With a backstory that has nothing to do with rich energy. That's the other thing I love here. Is it already sold in, in South Africa or something? South Africa, I, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, which also makes me think... So, you know how, like, in the U.S., most bourbon is produced by one company, and then it is just, like, aged and treated and bottled by a lot of different labels? And that's not to say those bourbons aren't different. Like, how how you age and how you finish a bourbon has a lot to do with how it tastes in the end. But in terms of the actual distilling, um, most American, like, craft bourbon is produced by, like, Mm. two different companies. I am kind of wondering, does all of this saga also point to the fact that Basically, there's white label energy drinks out there. You know what I mean? Like, there are, you know, kind of the Wildwood Cola, uh, if you're from the Midwest and you're familiar with that brand. But basically, that there's there's companies, or maybe just a company, that is producing passable energy drinks, and it's just a matter of slapping a brand on it. Like, if you can create a brand around it, you can sell it in different markets, because there always Rob, seems to I'd- be one. I I don't I don't want to believe, live in a world where Robert Kubica isn't crafting his very own energy drink, or that That's Mike true. Tyson Black is is not actually made by the former heavy sitting there in the himself. lab, just under the yeah. It doesn't it, taste right. Yeah. It's got to put in more taurine. It kind of it kind of jives with what our experience was drinking rich energy, which was like yeah, this just tastes like Red Bull if you just. Added a lot of sugar to it. Yeah. Mm. It was like, it tasted like just about any energy drink. Uh, and if you yeah. don't like that taste, it wasn't it wasn't very good. If you like energy drinks, it was passable. Uh, but yeah, so now, did oh God. Vo- does Volt have to honor the Haas contract? That must be, right? That has to be what... They basically just sort of like shimmied all their shares over into a different company to just get... William out of the question out of the picture but uh, like yeah are, are, are we going to see rich energy on the like who fucking cares uh, by the way at any stage of this who cares what's written on the car because you can't buy rich energy anywhere or like this is the least economical advertising deal of all time because if you can only buy it in like 20 strip clubs in England and maybe they're giving them out for free at the odd Indy 500 I think for a time I don't know if you still can but you could buy it like a case of 24 on walmart.com terrific that's like when you buy like a watch off amazon and then it's like spat out of a, a factory in taiwan three weeks later it's like they're not actually available but if anyone bothers <laughs> to order one of these we'll make sure you get it in like two to three months 
I mean, one, I am just praying for a Haas car that shows up to the next race covered in hasty vinyls. <laughs> like that, yeah. like that is basically like they, the parts have already been colored and like that can't really be changed. You don't end up like McLaren at, at Indy where the car is like up on uh, up on jacks, like drying. So like they just cover it in new vinyl decals. Uh, and basically it looks like a custom job done for like Forza or something. Uh, that's 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 my hope. I am. I forget. It, it, I think it might have been one of the uh, flurry of new Jalopnik articles, articles that have come out. But it's also not clear how much Rich Energy have actually paid into Haas. Right. Like that's that's the other part. Is apparently. Haas's day-to-day operating budget has basically all been from Gene Haas's mm-hmm. uh, funds, and so I don't know when the f- like the disbursement of that sponsorship took place, but there could be another element here where this, all this money was kind of gravy at the end, and the Haas team has deep enough pockets that they can uh, basically eat this. That seems like a lot, like you know. Eating forty-four million, uh, that you're supposed to get over the next couple of years, seems seems like a lot, even by the standards of, uh, you know, a, a racing empire. Nevertheless, uh, I'm really curious to see how this all shakes out and what the Haas uh, car looks like in a couple of races' time. Also, the, does William's story still like? Is that just going to be his Twitter account now? Like, is he just going to, like, uh, he's not going to stop, right? He's going to keep talking. He's going to use this as, like, a springboard for his next venture or whatever it is. He's probably the probably the most notoriety he's ever gotten in his life as well. Like, I, I can't, like, I'm just wondering what happens to him next. Like, what's his next weird, is there a court case? Does, does you know, is there some sort of fallout from the, uh, from the paperwork that's that's been put out there about this company? Like, yeah, I feel like we've 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 hit a sort of a crescendo in this story, but um, uh, no pun intended. But uh, there's a uh, yeah, there's 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 more gonna happen. It just seems completely bizarre as well that they're a big sponsor. This isn't like it's just written on the back of the air. It's a title like sponsor. It's, it's yeah. a title sponsor. <laughs> Every time you see this, it is not I mean, the Haas F1 car. It is the Rich Energy Haas yes. Formula One team. Like, it's like Mission Winnow on the back of the Ferrari. You cannot miss it. You can't take a photograph of this car without seeing it. Except so, in cases like, where you are legally not allowed to display Mission Winnow. But. <laughs> <laughs> you can't take a picture in France of it. Um, but yeah, it's just, it just seems completely bananas that we're going to go the rest of this. Like, yeah, when do they change it? Immediate? I guess they've got, they've got a... We have a dead weekend this weekend. You know, it's no race till the 28th, so... Maybe they can get it done. You got to be real careful, though. Lightning bolts are so ubiquitous, man. It's going to be real hard to make a logo with a lightning bolt that doesn't look like someone else's lightning bolt logo. <laughs> well, you could probably arrange lightning bolts enough to make like a stag head. That <laughs> would look pretty cool. Yeah, a stag's antlers kind of look like lightning bolts. Yeah, Forks. I, I just, yeah. you know, I think Haas is going to need a sponsor, and we've got some patrons. <laughs> Stretch goal. I, you know what? I am, I am one hundred percent on board for emailing Haas and saying like, "Hey, how much would it cost to get a Shift F one logo on there?" I just don't know where to send that email. 
Let's not, let's not get ourselves blackballed by the only American team just yet. Like, I still, I still have dreams of ending up in a hospitality tent at some point and not swiftly escorted out by security. We should at least do a stretch goal. I yeah. feel like we've got the one thousand patron stretch goal. We're up to six forty-two. A thousand. We're what? We're doing a race together. Yeah. Uh, what what do you think? What? So 44 million, let's say let's say they didn't pay a cent of it. That's like 11 million a year. So, what do we say? 10,000 patrons. That's that'll, that'll cover it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Boy. Uh yeah. oh, just I'm two tired. quick details. Okay. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. Sure. Uh, so well, I mean, we're 35 minutes yeah, in this podcast and still haven't talked about the race. I've got go a couple things. One the <laughs> other thing is Rich Energy also said that Haas illegally removed their logo for the Canadian race and uh, that was the breach of contract, but Haas said, dude, you told us to do that because you just lost, lost the court case. And also oh Canada was God. like ages ago, so it's a little late in the day to be pulling that. Uh, but then so from uh, the Jalotnik article, looks like Haas F1 is going after Rich Energy. Uh, among the details that come through in the Haas letter uh, to Rich Energy shareholders uh it appears that it's not like from the article Haas has supported its own race cars through Haas CNC and it wasn't clear how much rich energy was actually paying to be a title partner for the team what's said in the uh, letter they their lawyers sent out is that there's six million dollars outstanding which mm. could track for about this point in the season uh, for for money not having shown up but that would now, make it 50 for four years as well yeah right mm. so it, it's it yeah it is not a sure thing uh how good like how important the sponsorship was i mean this could be one of those deals where it is a bad look not to have a major sponsor you need right. to make sure something is written across the spoiler of your race car but it, but it, wouldn't it be wouldn't it be funny to have a four year deal in that case? Like I totally understand because if you're trying to sell that spot, you want to be able to say, "Oh, yeah, it that's a good point." X amount the year before, but if it's four years, unless that's also just part Maybe of the there's an option by year by year renewal. Renewal. Yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah, it's a it's it's a weird thing. This this entire thing has been strange from beginning to <laughs> end of the rich energy deal. I don't know what comes next. Yeah. I really, you know, I. Uh, I don't want to see Haas go anywhere. It doesn't sound like they're too concerned about this, which is great. Like having mm-hmm. the backing of Gene Haas, I think is uh, is good because you got to think that they would have done some kind of background check or verification somehow on this thing before they signed a four-year deal. So hopefully this being pulled out from under them isn't too detrimental. Sounds uh, like they've got enough problems on the track. This is kind of just one of those inconvenient little i don't know i wonder what the i wonder what the infrastructure of a haas company is like i wonder is it very car focused do they really have the bandwidth for this type of thing or like who knows maybe they outsource a lot of this sort of biz dev stuff to other people or marketing companies that they hire like uh, i'd be interested in what the setup of a haas company is because they seem pretty light on their feet they don't seem like they have that much headcount apart from their like engineers and 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 core you know core development team well, speaking of... Go ahead, Rob. No, I mean, to me, Haas has always felt like they just create different silos for the different racing efforts. And that Gene Haas appears to be good at establishing racing teams. 
Um, mm. But that also means I don't know how much. I think part of that is it's really easy to sort of amputate and cauterize any part of the team that is not doing well yeah. rather than have a money-losing racing effort sort of infect the entire organization. So, like, Haas has done a lot because it seems like they're very good at uh, setting up credible racing programs, but I'm not sure how many corporate reserves the F1 team has to call on. Hmm. Speaking of figuring out problems, uh, Roman Grosjean this weekend uh, was running a Melbourne spec car. They went back to the drawing board uh, I think to try to like compare his car against Magnussen's and try to nail down their tire problems, but uh, did not start well for Mr. Grosjean. He crashed in the pit lane in Jeez. in practice one. Um, mate, mate, I just spun, mate. <laughs> yeah, and qualifying one, Magnussen uh, was looking okay, but he went wide in the final turn and did not get out of Q1. Uh, we'll start 16th. And then in Q2, Grosjean went a second and a, uh, 1.2 seconds slower on his first lap uh, than he did in Q1 and said afterward that the team didn't really know why. So um, I think the, yeah, the goal here was for the embattled Haas team to maybe try some things, run some tests during the race, get some real race craft in. We'll see how that goes uh, in a bit. But just to finish out qualifying here, um, Vettel left it until the last moment, but did get out of Q2 to go on to Q3. Both Alfa Romeos, unfortunately, out in Q2, but uh, Giovinazzi outqualified Raikkonen for yet another race. So, yeah, um, he's looking better and better. Sadly, Racing Point didn't do so well in qualifying this weekend. Perez went 15th and Stroll 18th. Signs also didn't do so hot. Uh, he'll line up 13th while his teammate Norris uh, got into Q3. Interestingly, uh, of the top three teams, Ferrari is the only one who elected to start on the soft tire. So they got to Q3 using some soft tires uh, while Mercedes and Red Bull set their times on uh, medium tires. Q3, Hamilton bobbles it in his first run, uh, but Botas does a 125.093, which is a new lap record. Uh, Botas does not improve on his second run, but Hamilton does, getting within one uh, six one-thousandths of Botas's time, but no faster, meaning Crazy. Valtteri Botas gets pole position. Uh, Charles Leclerc in third was also within a whisker. Yeah, um, Leclerc in third by 0.08 seconds. Then we have uh, Verstappen in fourth, Gasly in fifth, and behind both of the Red Bulls, Fettel in sixth place. Then we've got Ricardo in seventh, Norris in eighth, uh, Albon with the strong showing in ninth, and Hulkenberg rounding out the top 10. Behind them, it's Giovinazzi, Raikkonen, Sainz, Grosjean, Perez in 15th place, then Magnussen, Kvyat, Stroll, Russell, and Bobby Kay. Mm. Uh, and on the grid, actually, a lot of commotion around the Red Bull cars, like right before the, you know, the teams are going to split off and go back to the pits for the formation lap. Apparently, they discovered cracks in the rear end plates. All right. Uh, and since you're not allowed to change parts at this stage, they had to appeal directly to the FIA to fit replacements of the same specification um, on their their rear wing end plates. But permission was granted, and they uh, completed the repairs with about 60 seconds to spare. So, um, wow. yeah, heart pounding moments for those guys. Uh, also, it was it was great to see uh, the son of Charlie Whiting, Justin Whiting, uh, starting this race. So that was really really cool. Yeah, nice touch. 
Uh, do you want to take us through the start, Danny, of this sure. yeah, crazy sure. I mean, British Grand Prix? Uh, we sort of experienced it with the Drive to Survive episode five, I think it was. Uh, last year's uh, British GP was a bit of a bit of a uh, bumper car race at the start. You had Sergio Perez, two cars starting from the pits, Sergio Perez spinning out over the pit lane, uh, Hamilton getting spun uh, right at the start and ruining his uh, race. But uh, as the, the lights went out and away they went, they were actually pretty clean. Votas had a good start, which is good because he sometimes doesn't have those. Um, everyone seemed to have a pretty good start, um, uh, but perhaps Ricardo didn't have as good a start as he wanted because Lando Norris was already um, gobbling him up uh, in the first couple of turns. They had a fantastic scrap throughout the entirety of that lap. Um, that whole first section... Uh, in the loop and then they had a great little battle um in uh, Brooklyn's woodcot and, and and almost for the entire lap um Hulkenberg in there as well there was just a fantastic little scurry between the three of those but uh yeah for the first lap there was essentially uh, no spins but Hamilton and Botas um uh, you know, but us ahead, but really not gaining on on Hamilton in any meaningful way Hamilton with him um for the first couple of laps uh two cars did collide in the in the background. One, Kevin Magnuson and Roman oh, yes. Grosjean. Yes. Oh God. Yeah. They uh, <laughs> and Magnuson tried to go around the outside, and uh, Grosjean smacked into the side of Magnuson, uh, puncturing his rear right and Magnuson's rear left. Both cars pitted, but eventually needed to retire. Um, yeah. So Gunther Steiner after the race was saying that yeah we needed that data to be able to tell what our problems were and how to fix them. I think he said something like they, they brought a shovel to this battle so that we can dig our hole that we're in even deeper. So <laughs> not going, not going so well over there. Uh, but yeah, the, the Hamilton Botas race uh, starts strong and continues for the first few laps. Hamilton does not drop back. He stays with him. Um, and on lap four, Hamilton goes to the outside and then does a, a crossover, cutting to the inside, which becomes the outside of the next corner. And apparently he seals the deal because the camera cuts to the crowd at the worst possible moment. Yes. What uh, were they doing? But that was that was a really, really cool move. And like, I don't know, even though I am not British, it's fun to see. It's fun to see whoever is the audience favorite, you know, pull something off like that. But I don't need to see the audience. That's the yeah. thing. Right. Is yeah, like, I don't... There is... I don't know. Maybe it's that they are really self-conscious. Like, they're trying to showcase the passion of the fans and what a great experience it is to be in the stands. Don't you stay at home. Don't Please you wish tickets. you could be here and see a fraction of this great duel uh, that you can see on your TV. Uh, but it was deeply freaking frustrating to have them cut to that and that's not the first time we've seen that right like there there are there's a recurring theme in f1 broadcasts where they cut away from duels to show things like crowd reactions to things that have not yet been resolved or to show people like is there a contractual obligation to show people crossing the finish line in the last lap i don't know but the sheer number of times we have cut away from like really good top 10 duels to see like Hamilton drive the last three corners by himself. Yeah, we missed that whole battle with Ricardo at the end of the was it was that France? No, I forget which yeah. one it was. Yeah, because of that. I I mean I think F one broadcasting is 
90% of the time is terrific. But that one, it's one of those really annoying things where we know when they're exiting Luffield that it's not over, that like yeah. the apex of Woodcott is really important. But if they switch away, the only thing that's worse is if they immediately switch back. From like a race director point of view, it looks like a worse mistake. So I feel like when they switch and they're like, oh shit, maybe they still have to wait a second or two before they come back because otherwise it looks to like... make a, it look deliberate. Yeah. yeah, it makes it look like a weird double cut. But uh, yeah, when they came back though yeah it wasn't over right because botas was basically up alongside of him on the old uh the old straight yeah without the aid of drs i might add and makes a sweet move to retake the lead so that was yeah that was awesome that whole the whole battle i think was great and thankfully we get a lot of other battles like that throughout this race so by lap 11 the rest of the top six have also stayed pretty close Verstappen in particular is all over leclerc who's in third place um on lap 11 he tries to move to the outside but gets squeezed and has to back off which puts uh verstappen dangerously close to vettel but verstappen does manage to keep uh, ahead of him for the moment which i not only was that cool but also in this race uh and maybe it's something about the track but it seems like the drs is not the magic bullet here as it has been in the past like people were using it and getting close but not slingshotting by every single time um yeah i thought i thought that was it just it felt very and from like a game balance perspective this this race <laughs> felt really good did anyone else think there's like no one mentioned it but did anyone else think that verstappen did a double move on that one because it to me it looked like it did it looked like he covered the outside of vettel on the wellington straight when he was trying to get past him and then he caught on the inside to block him and then he changed back to the racing line to take the angle it looked like Vettel had to do like I mean it never came up and especially considering after the fact it probably would have but like it yeah I don't know to me it looked like one of Verstappen's old moves you know those like cheeky little half Mm -hmm. double moves where he makes a move very early so that he can make a second one um yeah I don't know I I I if if you watch the highlights, if you go back and do it, keep an eye on that because the camera sort of cuts when it happens too. So I think it's not the most optimal way of seeing it. But I'd love to see the Verstappen on board at that situation. Okay. Uh, yeah, I didn't notice that. This is around lap fourteen is when we start doing pit stuff. So Leclerc pits, having started pit on the stuff soft tire, and interestingly, Verstappen follows him because Verstappen started on the medium. So Leclerc goes on to the mediums, and so does Verstappen. But Red Bull's pit stop is faster. So Verstappen comes back onto the pit lane about a meter ahead of Leclerc uh, and then pulls ahead at the end of the pit lane. I love whenever this happens. Yeah, it seems to happen a lot more in recent years than I ever remember in the past. And uh, I guess thankfully for Verstappen in that situation, it was a right uh, exiting pit lane because that was the only reason he was able to sort of uh, get ahead of him. If that was Abu Dhabi, I'm not quite sure if he would have been so confident. That's Um, true, yeah. Yeah, the the pit. I mean, later on we had the the fastest pit lane and uh, I think the fastest pit stop of all time, but the Red Bulls were just completely on fire today with their... Uh, with their pit stops and this was also another one of those times where uh to rob's point you about not having to show the crowd you sort of doubly didn't have to show the crowd this week because they were just so loud there were so many moments where you had almost like the sort of ambient noise in like the in the gladiator movie whenever like a, a shield is hit by a sword there was just this gasp from from the sort of the ambient noise of the circuit which was 
absolutely uh, terrific. Um, yeah, I wonder if we would have ever caught that on the old uh, on the old engines and you know in the past. Uh, but it was so cool. There was another big gasp when that happened um, in the yeah. pit lane. Well. So Verstappen does like so Red Bull pulls off a miracle for Verstappen, but and this was one of those heartening things because I do this a lot. Coming out of that pit exit on not necessarily cold tires, but they're certainly not at optimal temperature, you are thrown really quickly into a fast corner and then a hard turn. And Verstappen bobbled it. Mm-hmm. Like he lost the car immediately, uh, racing out of the pits, and not badly, but enough for Leclerc just to breeze by him and sort of reset, uh, reset the duel, which was a disaster for Verstappen. It looked like because I think to to your point, Drew, I think Sil- Silverstone was a really interesting track this year because straight line speed was hugely important for sure but because of all those fast corners your aero package was arguably more important because it allowed you to carry more speed onto the straight to begin with if you were able to hold a better line and uh, run at a higher speed and i think that was where the red bull was really shining was that it just was coming it was taking every corner really well it was coming out of every corner uh, looking significantly faster than uh, than the Ferrari, and the Ferrari was it's it seemed like once again kind of living and dying with that sort of straight line acceleration, but it just in terms of just raw pace, the Red Bull looked kind of effortless around Silverstone. And the Ferrari didn't. Now, the Ferrari wasn't going to look that way because they were under attack so much. Nobody looks mm-hmm. effortless when you're constantly <laughs> defending. Uh, but, yeah, it it seemed like it was going to be a tough day for Verstappen because, first of all, Leclerc was, was uh, fangs out, basically, yeah. just not going to give an inch. He seems to have learned... He sort of learned what I think every driver of this generation is going to have to learn which is that to deal with max he is very very good he is also very very determined and you basically have to be willing to accept the risk of a collision uh you you just you just have to drive that way and leclerc was uh but that also meant that it seemed like Verstappen was not going to be able to do that move safely or easily and you can just see the tires probably would be going off uh, back there, and so it was. It was a really fascinating juncture in this race uh, because everything seemed unresolved in this. the 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 Ferraris had better positions than the Red Bulls. Than the Red Bulls, the Red Bulls looked faster. Yeah. Um, Botas was he'd seen off the first challenge from Hamilton, but like that seemed really unresolved uh quick thing to note here by the way gasly looking good for a change looking actually comparable to max uh one thing that was a story heading into this was gasly was going to stop doing his own car setup he was just going to take max's setups oh wow Hmm. yeah which is interesting it could mean that max is better at setting up a car and so is his team uh max's engineer yeah yeah um I don't know how big a deal. Like, 
as a driver, you're supposed to be able to contribute to setup, but if you have one half of the garage that really nails it and you're capable of driving that other guy's setup, maybe this is the path for uh, for success for Gasly. It certainly looked like it with the way he was holding his own with uh, you know Max and Vettel. Yeah, and then there, yeah, he he shows up again later in the race. But uh, lap twenty, cut to Antonio Giovinazzi in the gravel. Uh, instant safety car, and it's kind of a weird one because uh, Giovinazzi just kind of loses it and spins off into the gravel. Um, which we haven't had a lot of safety cars this season, but it's uh you know as as we know a really interesting time for pit stops. Like this can really change uh, a race, and this race is no exception. So at this point, pretty much everyone had pitted, except for Hamilton and Vettel, who were running one two at this play at this point. So since you're going, the field is going much slower than usual. You don't lose as much time as you normally would if you pit under the safety car. So Hamilton and Vettel absolutely both do this. Both put on the hard tire that will hopefully see them to the end of the race. And crucially, Hamilton comes out ahead of Botas. Uh, Vettel's right behind in third, um, having effectively jumped Leclerc and Verstappen, uh, who had pitted earlier. So we don't hear this, but Verstappen is told, still under the safety car, to do the opposite to Leclerc. So if Leclerc doesn't pit, Verstappen will, which is exactly what happened. Leclerc then pitted a lap later, losing a place to Verstappen. Ferrari obviously thought that it still made sense to pit even after Verstappen had pitted. But if that was the case, I was wondering why they didn't do it on the previous lap. But I guess then that also would have given Verstappen the advantage of track position. Yeah. But now they've lost track position and Verstappen has new tires. Mm. I think Ferrari knew they were screwed. Uh, so like I because I went back and I looked at the track position thing and because it didn't make sense to me that they did not call Leclerc in and just stack up the Ferraris it wouldn't even been that intense a stack right like Vettel would have been comfortably away by the time uh, Leclerc was coming down that uh, you know that 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 pit lane but I think they they were really up against it because the Red Bull was just hands down faster. Like once they lost that track position, I do not think they had an answer. And so their hope was to, but that, but then why why pull him in immediately anyway? That is the weird part. It was the the decision to go in anyway and change a lap later um, does strike me as a little bit weird. So I've got a quote from um, Ferrari team principal Mattia Bonotto on racefans.net who says, On the radio, we knew Max was called opposite to Charles, and if Charles would have stopped, Max would have stayed out, and we would simply put Charles behind everybody. And probably that would not have been the right call. We were trying to stay ahead, but as soon as Max stopped, I think we all looked at the data, it was still good for us to stop again. I don't think we could have stopped earlier, one stop before, because the others would have had to stay out and we would have lost our entire advantage. I don't know. That doesn't really explain a lot for me. It's so it's so hard to go back considering 
this was lap like 19 or 20 right like and over we're going 52 to 52 lap race like there's so much that can happen after this moment um yeah like yeah i don't know it's not the it's not the last time we have this sort of you know troubling confusing what do we do in terms of pits uh situation with team mates either yeah and i mean a safety car is an instant wrench thrown in the machine a spanner in the works if you will yes uh that teams have to respond to that's what makes them fun uh in those pit stops though verstappen and leclerc both lose out to gasly who stays out on the hard tires uh that he put on during lap uh 13 which is what you mentioned uh, the fastest pit stop of all time at 1.91 yeah. seconds. I will link that in the show notes. It's pretty, it looks like it's sped up. It's wild. Oh, it's pretty good. And we're bearing the lead a little bit here, which is the degree to which Valtteri is just t- totally hosed by this. Like this is yes. as could not have been worse. Yeah. It w- <sighs> Valtteri had his side of the garage seemed to have some, bad guesses about how tire wear was going to play out on this track because his strategy appeared to be start on medium go to medium finish on soft that appeared to be the way he was going to run the race Hmm. and honestly that makes sense that doesn't seem like a bad idea the problem is the delta between the hards and the and the mediums wasn't anywhere near uh, what it was anticipated to be, and the life of the tires uh, was just considerably longer than it appeared to be. The the, the hard right. appeared to be good to drive basically forever, and yeah. so I think there was a lot of fear about that because of the whole resurfacing. It had been resurfaced again, um, and I, did he have enough hards? Because when we did this, when we talked last week, it sounded like some of them weren't taking that many hards, which ended up being such an important tire in this race. Yeah, not sure. Yeah, I don't know what he had in terms of his allotment. Uh, I don't think that was the constraint. I think it was genuinely a guess about how wear rates were going to work in this race. And Hamilton took the gamble that he could get it home on a one-stop and keep it close with Valtteri. At the time this all went down... And I still kind of feel this way. I would have been fascinated to see what their two strategies looked like in a straightforward race where that track position was preserved and Valtteri was on mediums and Hamilton's on hard. Like, could he have opened it up on the medium enough to squeeze in a stop for the soft and stay ahead of Hamilton? Um, Hmm. That seems far-fetched given how good the hard was and how competitive it was with the medium. I'm not sure he would have been able to open up the gap uh, with Hamilton. But nevertheless, at this moment, it it was basically race lost uh, for Botas because he's in sector one when the safety car uh, signal comes out and Hamilton's in sector three and Hamilton just drives into the pits. And that's basically like he goes the hards and that's basically it Valtteri has to stop he can't even react at this point he is still wedded uh to this two-stop strategy so i'm not clearly it was the wrong strategy in retrospect but man going into the uh weekend uh, it's doing a one stop at silverstone where there's so much wear especially on the left fronts with all the fast uh clockwise corners it's i understand why they hedged 
Yeah, and interestingly, I think this is a good place to bring this up. Um, Total Wolf said after the race that they, I'll just quote him here from race fans, in our strategy meeting in the morning, actually the drivers brought up whether there was an offset strategy possible for the guy running second. Because if you put them on the same tire, it's probably how the race is going to end. So picking up the suggestion, we decided that the second place driver would run an offset strategy with a hard tire in the middle. We weren't quite sure whether one stop uh, would make it, probably rather thinking it would be a two stop, uh, also because of the lack of data on the hard. So even if the safety car didn't come out, they were going to split their strategy. Mm. Uh, But the safety car goes in lap 24. uh, With the restart here, Albon immediately takes it to Norris and we get yet more wheel-to-wheel racing. This was super cool. Uh, yeah, a bunch I, of them. Ricardo tried to get in there, and then Perez got... There was this, like, concertina effect that kept yeah. happening, or, like, knock-on thing, where, like, somebody would would go for it and then lose out, and then someone would go for them. And it was a bit of a shame that Perez and Hulkenberg ended up having a little tap there, um, which uh, ruined yeah. Perez's front wing. But uh, it was so cool, just this, this weird domino effect that was going on. Some hard racing, too, between Verstappen and Gasly, just ahead of him. Uh, but Leclerc is just behind Verstappen at this point. Verstappen goes a bit wide... Uh, and opens the door for Leclerc to come up the inside of a turn on Verstappen, and just he just bangs sidelong into him, which is <laughs> basically a mirror move of what Verstappen did to Leclerc in Austria. Yeah, uh, it was uh, it was it was terrific. Yeah, he he, uh, I think he said after the race something like, "After Austria, now I know what the rules are, and we can race." Like he just okay, that's how we're going to play this, and then immediately did it in Britain. So I think you're right about what you said about uh, Leclerc earlier, Danny. And and there was interesting there with Verstappen, um, there was a bit of scuttlebutt whether or not he had driven all four wheels off the track when trying to uh, get back on, uh, just, I guess, rounding the corner at, uh, at, at Woodcut, but um, nothing came of it in the end. But he ended up getting past him again, right? Yeah, he, he did go off the road, but he kept the pace up and managed to pass Leclerc on the next straight. Uh, another radio call we didn't hear was Gasly being told that Verstappen was on a different strategy. Hmm. So apparently, <laughs> Gasly ignored this for a few laps, and they had to escalate it to team principal Christian Horner, who said definitively for Gasly to move over, which he complied with on lap 26th. So... Uh, by that time, Verstappen is ahead of Gasly, and his next target is Sebastian Vettel. Yeah, and Lacar's next target is is Gasly, and we end up getting one of the best overtakes oh. of the season. My goodness. Oh, so good. Do you want to describe it? Sure. Uh, lap 36, I want to say it was at Village. Yeah. Um, so to paint a picture for anyone, this is the... Uh, I guess the third turn, it's that real, the, the hard, uh, the first like hard breaking one that Rob was talking about um, when you leave the pits, that right hander, um, which is not typically an overtaking spot. The loop is where he basically forced Max out by kind of like, he dove in the inside a little bit, and Max kind of bottled it and, and, uh, and he got past him. But like, there's plenty of overtaking spots right after this section. So it's not generally where you go for it. But he just like it was almost like I I hate to say this because it sounds so per- superfluous or, or ridiculous or hi- hyperbolic rather, but when like one of the things they used to say about Senna was that he found grip on parts of the track that no one else could, and that's what this looked like where Leclerc went round uh, off the racing line and just had it like he had the grip he he made it look easy he he overtook him on the corner he didn't 
he didn't force him to break or force him off the line. Uh, he he just drove a different way around the corner like a slot car and just went faster. <laughs> he was ahead of him by the end of it. He just made it look easy. It was a terrific overtake. Yeah, agreed. Meanwhile, Verstappen catches up to Vettel, which is interesting because, and this probably goes back to what you were saying, Rob, about the difference between straight line speed and arrow. They put the same tire on at the same time, and Verstappen has caught Vettel at this point, like, and gets a run on him with DRS and makes the pass no problem at all. Rob, do you want to explain what happens next then? Uh, yeah, so Vettel is not willing to concede the spot. Um, and, you know, we've... I need to look up the, the map real quick because um, I, I need to know the exact... Uh, like, I can see it in my head. I just don't remember, what, remember the name of it. Um, yeah, so... Vettel is absolutely not having it uh, that, that he sort of got got beaten there. And so he basically contests it all the way around. Is this is this through uh, Stowe it's, down to Vale? Yeah, it yeah. is. Yeah. It's right there, yeah. And so now he is running like hell for leather after uh, Verstappen. He cuts it really. Uh, he cuts it pretty wide through Stowe, but uh, Verstappen cuts it like even further. He goes basically off the track, and this is the marshals have made their ruling on replay. I did develop a little bit of sympathy for Vettel here. Verstappen once again looks like he has gone all four wheels off. Um, has come blazing back like onto the track, heading into Vale. He doesn't fully go to the racing line. He gets midway into the track, and then he begins to cut in to block the apex down to Vale. Uh, Vettel is running up behind him, looks down the inside, which Verstappen is closing off rapidly, and then he sort of, kind of, tries to cut right, but not really. He just kind of drives up the back of him. Uh, the comparison was immediately to Baku and Ricardo uh, doing having the same incident, like basically the exact same incident with Verstappen, and it is a violent hit. Uh, it, like it is a high speed collision. The Red Bull is launched sideways on two wheels. It lands on two wheels at an angle, bounces a couple times. Both cars fine. Apparently, Crazy. yeah, um, but and they both got into the gravel. Yeah, which is the fact that it even got back onto the track is incredible. Which Giovinazzi got beached on, you know, fifteen <laughs> laps earlier. Right, so, um, who slid off at the same spot? Uh, hadn't been launched quite like either <laughs> right. of these cars. Yeah. Uh, also, this this by the way saves Valtteri Bottas's race. Like he is poised to have a disastrous race because he like the next time he pits for his mandatory tire change to go to the soft. He was going to lose both those positions. He was going to lose mm. out to Vettel and to Verstappen. Verstappen might have even caught him up on the track. Who knows? But he was definitely going to lose these positions. And then Vettel does this. Leclerc just has his old position fall into his lap. <laughs> and then both cars drive off. And uh, they they sort of rejoin and are both in pretty good condition. Apparently, the according to Horner later, 
the Red Bull was pretty badly compromised uh, by yeah, the this. floor, right? Yeah. Uh, that and the, and that there were like literal pieces of the car hanging off that if you look closely right. uh, you could see, but it was um, it was another Vettel close racing incident. Yeah. What did you guys say? Um, at the it's like the minute because Verstappen had tried this earlier on Stowe back in lap I think it was 19 I have it down so it was right before Giovinazzi spun he tried the same move on the on the on the straight um and he on the hanger straight and he almost made it happen but but Vettel pushed him pretty far out like not onto the grass but like pretty badly out there which then resulted in him having a terrible line through Stowe everyone loves that wide line people are always flying out onto that little gravel part whatever or the 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 runoff um, so he defended him that way. And I think Verstappen was wise to that this time and had gotten um, Vettel. But you can always tell with these guys the way they attack back. Like Vettel looks angry when yes. he's, when he's yes. trying to overtake people. And I feel like any other year, what Verstappen would have done is stayed on the racing line and last minute dove down the inside to cut off that uh, the apex the overtake the underbreak the the somebody outbreaking him but he was actually like swimming over to that side the entire time just like what you said about ricardo there was no situation where max was doing his little double move thing he was actually like pretty cleanly going down you know down that side and vale is also like a tricky corner because it's a downhill like Silverstone's pretty flat this is like the only part that there's actually much of a hill on it so you're kind of compromised a little bit in terms of um uh, arrow if you're stuck behind someone so you kind of need to get out of the way if you're going to underbreak somebody you can't do it with them in front of you obviously but you, you, you even so you want to be able to like have a bit of space in front of you so like you said, he kind of like looked down the inside and then went, nah. And then just as he was like saying nah, but not taking the other angle, like Max was obviously going to have to slow down at that stage because he was taking this crazy line. He wasn't going to be able to break and, and sweep around it. So, and, and you could see, I mean, Vettel's like brakes smoked for a good half a second before he hit him, right? So he knew it. He, he slammed the brakes. He knew he was going to, he was going to tap him. So, I mean, not to jump the gun, but I think, and at the end of the race, when Vettel came up and, and apologized to Max while Max was still in his car, that kind of tells you everything you need to to know. Like, Max came over the radio and gave out about it. Like, what was he doing? Seb kind of did the same thing, but either either they didn't play anymore that radio because it didn't sound good, or that's all he said, and then kind of realized, oh, shit, maybe that was that was on me. But, uh, yeah, he's, he said he said after the race, uh, he, well, I think on the radio, he said, hey, what was he doing? Vettel did. Uh, and then after the race, he said, yeah, I thought about it for the next few laps uh, uh, and then <laughs> apologized. <laughs> yeah, I've, I mean, we've talked about it a few times, whether or not we're sort of reading the tea leaves a bit too much about Seb or whether or not this is a sort of a pattern. I mean, it's kind of a pattern. Like, it's this is another unforced error or another situation where he kind of bottled it. Like, nothing crazy happened to he in this situation or and you, you don't want to criticize any f1 driver for making these types of mistakes because it's incredibly difficult but like seb is smarter than this and it was just sort of interesting to see him throw away you know some I, I still what was still a good position you know he was there was overtaking happening all over the circuit he might have gotten them back it just seems rash i feel yeah I, I think what surprised me was how late vettel's move was like he he dives to the left to try to make it, 
you know, on the inside of Max way too late because by that time it doesn't work. He can't swing back to the right and he can't break hard enough to avoid him. So he kind of boxes himself in. It it looks like to me. I just He's a guy who thinks that he can react in those situations and you really can't, right? Like it is the way you make these moves kind of bulletproof is you, you basically have to it's almost like both drivers make a blind selection about what line they're going to protect and how they're going to defend. And then they both have to basically commit to that and see what unfolds, right? And you can react to, like, the thing you chose to do, uh, you know, that you're under control of, you're overtaking. If somebody blocks off the line you were choosing to use, you can react to that and you have, you have to bail out. Um, what you can't do is get halfway into that move, see the guy block your chosen line, and then think, okay, I will just cut around to the outside. That just, that is not, right. that's not the yeah. sport. And I think if, I think there's there's a few drawbacks in Seb's game, but I think that is one of them is he makes the kind of mistakes that, again, just sort of make me think this is somebody who has, like, who just didn't develop a lot of that kind of racecraft uh, mm. throughout his career. And now he's trying to, like, he's sort of trying to learn it in a car he's not super comfortable in um, at a different point in his career. But yeah, it's mm. it wasn't great. I was looking at it on replay again. Max doesn't go off as far as it looked to me live. Uh, he was still, it looks like he still basically retained just a little a little toe on the track. Um, so you, you couldn't say that he, he'd sort of unsafely rejoined. Um, yeah, it's just, you know, just, just, just another mistake there. Uh, from, uh, from abs- Sub. so cool to hear the crowd's reaction to that though as well i've mm-hmm. played it back like so many times just the sh- the the, sh- the the collective oh of the moment was just like absolutely wonderful i love there, that stuff there is a pretty good reaction shot of a guy in the uh, red bull garage yes <laughs> just like because he's like super happy and then oh yeah yeah it's a real roller coaster of emotions um yeah, Vettel pits for a new front wing, rejoins in last place. Um, at the end of the race, there's some confusion about Hamilton uh, pitting because he's yeah within he's let's see, Botas is twenty seconds, twenty one seconds behind, and the pit delta here is eighteen point five. So Lewis could come in conceivably for some new tires because his hard tires are really really old. But he doesn't go. I don't know if he ignores the call for a pit or what or if they change so, their minds yeah i watched the um uh an interviews with him in in the sort of beyond the grid thing or whatever after the fact uh, so apparently what happened was that they asked him to come in he said are you sure because he wasn't he was worried that basically like i think i can get these hards to the end of the race my worry is that we'll have an unforced error in the pit some sort of situation like that so when that happened, they were then going to try and get him in the next lap and talk to him about it. But Botas reported that he had a vibration on one of his tires. So then they were they were like, oh, okay, we better bring you in for your last pit stop right now. So then that's why they brought him in. So Hamilton had another lap or two to basically think about it. And by the time they came around again, um, that's why there was that phantom 
sort of the, the pit crew went out mm-hmm. uh, so by the time Botas was back out and they, they were talking to Hamilton again he basically said no I'm, I'm happy to bring it home like I'll be okay um, turns out his tyres were okay they were so okay that he really went for it on the last lap yep last lap of the race Lewis Hamilton sets the fastest lap and wins the British Grand Prix the fastest lap on 50, how many 30 30 lap old 40 Uh, lap old tires 32 32 lap old hard tires hard tires and the previous fastest lap uh, handler up until that stage was Valtteri so in the same car so hey guys I think Lewis Hamilton is it might be a pretty good driver who knew (laughs) Valtteri Botas comes home in second and Charles Leclerc earns his fourth consecutive podium awesome also, did you guys hear the the Mercedes engineer who was up on the podium saying, thanks for making it exciting? Yes, that was awesome. <laughs> Which, Dude. you know, sure. I, the whole race for me was was exciting. Also, it was terrific. That British Grand Prix trophy is a trophy. Oh, what's it look like? like? I don't know. It was a it's classic just like racing a, cup. Yeah, oh, it's just like a, a giant cup. goblet. Or it's cup. gold. Oh. I think everybody else tries to do their own little spin on a trophy. Britain's like, no, we're going to... We're going to make the most Victorian, overly gilded <laughs> trophy we can. Well, that's, the, that's like all the classic race trophies, like, tend to have that, like, 1920s, like, the fine, like, the Lord's Fine China, uh, the, uh-huh. yeah. the, you know, for for winning winning the race. Uh, and then all the newer ones are basically, like, exercises in branding, right? Like, the, what, right. remember Gorillas. those awful Santander uh, bank trophies where oh, it was God, just yeah. yeah race after race you get a giant like logo. fucking phallus <laughs> with a Santander uh, logo <laughs> at the top of it yeah. Uh, yeah no give me give me uh, the cup that's that, that's my kind of racing trophy <gasps> Pierre Gasly comes home in fourth followed by Max Verstappen Carlos Sainz in sixth Daniel Ricciardo in seventh Kimi Raikkonen in eighth Danny Kvyat in ninth, and Nico Hulkenberg getting the last point in 10th place. Lando Norris, 11th place. Alex Albon in 12th place. He actually was on track to to have a points-paying finish, but they couldn't pit him because his car was registering a high-voltage problem. No way. So under the rules, because of these hybrid cars being electrified, uh, if that happens, you need to come into the pits, turn off your car to change tires and then turn it back on again. So instead of doing that, they opted to just leave him out there. Um, so he finished in fourth. Lance Stroll in 13th. I'm sorry, he finished in 12th. Lance Stroll right. in 13th. George Russell in 14th. Robert Kubica in 15th. Uh, I think those are... George, yeah, highest positions uh, of the season. Definitely for Russell. Yeah. Uh, Sebastian Vettel in 16th, having passed Sergio Perez. Uh, in 17th. Antonio Giovinazzi, Roman Grosjean, and Kevin Magnussen, DNFs. Uh, and uh, Hamilton scored uh, the fastest lap, so he gets another point. Sorry, we also forgot to mention that Vettel got a 10-second penalty, so yeah. even if he had gotten past Roberts, he would have lost that uh, spot. True, yes. Thank you. Uh, in the driver standings, Lewis Hamilton is into the 200s with 223 points. Valtteri Bottas right behind him with 184. Max Verstappen with 136. Sebastian Vettel, earning no points this round, is in fourth place with 123. Charles Leclerc, his teammate, 120. Pierre Gasly, 
in sixth place with 55 points. Sainz has 38. Raikkonen with 25. Norris and Ricardo are tied at ninth place for uh, uh, with 22 points. Hulkenberg's in 11th with 17. Magnussen has 14. Perez has 13. Kvyat with 12. Albon in 15th place with 7 points. Stroll's got 6. Grosjean with 2. Giovinazzi with 1. Russell and Kubica with zero team wise mercedes has a commanding 407 points ferrari's got 243 red bull with 191 mclaren in a solid fourth place with 60 points renault has 39 alfa romeo with 26 points uh racing point has 19 tied with scuderia toro rosso for seventh place gene and team 16 points and williams with the goose egg hmm while we're running down the list of uh, standings here, Blow to the Future Part 3 in 10th place in the official Shift F1 Fantasy League. Uh, <laughs> you can join us with the link in the show notes. Speed Beast, number nine. Uh, number eight is Pointless Racing Forest. Then we've got Fry the Tires in seventh. Defcon 1, uh, I think, is new to the top 10 in sixth place. Maka F1 with uh, fifth place. Alpha Emojis in fourth. Fourth, uh, what happened? I know, losing out to Mercedes all the way in third uh number two is the hamiltons break the system and then number one steering wheel hey hey give it to me move come on my alpha emojis sorted out uh anything else from this race you guys or should we take it to the news ah uh, there's news didn't we talk about rich energy for an hour <laughs> <laughs> uh some some fallout from the race Vettel got two uh penalty points on his license oh uh which uh one of you has added here, six will get you banned for a race. He's a three. Ooh, oh, boy. boy. But they uh, they rotate, right? Like, after a year, they drop off. I think they last for a year. Yeah, they, ro- they roll. Yeah. Yeah, anything in this, uh, this, this block here that you guys want to check out? Uh, some really good videos on YouTube, um, uh, F1's YouTube channel. Lewis and uh, Frank Williams do a hot lap together, which is yes. really, really heartening to see. Uh, there was a lot of real good quality banter between Ricardo and uh, and Lando Norris on Twitter about about the uh, the awesome driving they were having, uh, and then Lando Norris just doing a bunch of uh, I don't know what do you call them those old person filter thing that everyone keeps doing. <laughs> he was doing a bunch of those to a Carlos Sainz Jr. And, just yeah, and, just uh, go follow Norris. Yeah, just yeah, exactly. Just follow him, Ricardo, and Carlos Sainz. Just follow them on Twitter, and you're done. It's good. F1's it's good own time. meme lord. Please don't milk check totally. doc. No, absolutely, um, please. Yeah, just a couple things I wanted to shout out. Um, so McLaren are happy to sort of reintroduce themselves. Uh, the sort of a story published this week. Uh, Andrea Seidel uh, was saying that they have finally completed their organizational revamp, getting rid of Ron Dennis's dysfunctional matrix uh, style Mm. management and going to a more traditional uh, hierarchical, um, you know, I guess what we call waterfall in in games dev terms. (laughs) I... uh, I don't know. I like here's the weird thing. It, It dawned on me today that much though I drag the guy a lot, Zach Brown, in terms of the arc of an engineering organization, hasn't been there that long. Like the, right. I was reading up on the details a little bit more about the way Ron Dennis envisioned the F F one team working, and 
I've worked at companies with matrix management where you have project managers and then divisional managers and people are assigned to projects, but also so they end up reporting to two different reporting chains. And you can right. also be on more than one project. So you can have your direct report and then you can also have the dreaded dotted line report out to multiple managers. Apparently that was an issue at uh, McLaren. Uh, I can see that actually taking a while to unwind, you know, mm. like especially because once corporate budgets are done, it is kind of hard to change the direction of a company mid-year. So I can actually believe that it's taken a while to sort things out. At the same time, it sure looks like in this reorg, Zach Brown is back to doing CEO things and sidles the guy as far as McLaren racing like that. Like that appears to be quite clear is sidles the team principal. And there is a director of engineering, James Key, and Nair the Twain. Like, they will work together, but they have their spheres. Uh, so I think that's – it's just an interesting uh, place for McLaren to arrive at. Side note to that, they also just went out of their way this week to just say if Alonzo came back to F1, oh my God. they wouldn't stand in his way. Yes, he's a McLaren ambassador, but – they're happy with the drivers they got. So if he wanted to go drive for another F1 team, they wouldn't like try to stop that. So that breakup could like definitely done. Uh, you know, they're, they're, they're on, they're, they're cordial. It's an amicable split, I guess. But does this mean there's gossip about him coming back to F1? Who'd have him? Uh, yeah, I think you, like, I think you're, Identification that Haas is the team that makes the most sense. Mm. Um, I think that still holds. And also, like Haas, that would be talk about an outfit that could actually hook him up with an indie seat reliably. Yeah, true. Yeah, and he does seem to do a lot of his like I don't know fun racing. His extracurricular work tends to end up being in in a, or some of it seems to be in the states. So yeah, I think he sort of. Could vibe with them. I mean, you know, Haas, though, they had a pretty good weekend, you know? Like, all their drivers were so happy they were doing donuts in the pit lane exit. It was just a, a real good time. <laughs> this is what I'm saying. So, like, the, the, there's never been a better time to... Is is Alonzo maybe poison <laughs> to, to a team? Yeah. Like, maybe Alonzo's problematic, but honestly, so is Haas. Like, this is... Alonzo's best period in his career was at the messy team that was yeah. Flavio Briatore's Renault, uh, Renault team. Like, mm. the dude thrives on chaos. I think it's time to go back to what's worked, go back to just a messy, slightly dysfunctional team with a team principal who gives a weird, angry dad energy, and <laughs> just see what happens. Um, also, just two last things. One, I love that the Formula E teams were cheating by using their energy recovery system to recreate traction control, which is banned. Uh, that's genius. I love it. Uh, playing around with uh, recovery rates and wheel spin to, uh, to do traction control. And then Sergio Perez, apropos of nothing, just wants everyone to know the really skill gaps aren't a thing in F1. Best driver and the worst driver, probably only three tenths a lap apart. You can't really. Who can say who's a good driver and who's a bad? Sergio can. <laughs> Speaking of McLaren, he uh, his 
Beyond the Grid F1's podcast appearance was pretty illuminating. It seems like every time I listen to a number of those podcasts and every time mm-hmm. McLaren comes up, the driver just goes, oh, yeah, McLaren. Whew. Like, it seems like it was a rough place to work. So, yeah, um, check that one out. Did you uh, did you want to update us on hashtag Kubica watch here? Just that Claire Williams went out her way to say that they don't they're not looking to replace him and saying that they're not really concerned about his lack of pace. Uh, that what they wanted from him, this is kind of what we've been saying all season, they wanted a driver engineer. Mm. And that is what they hired. They they knew yeah. they were going to be in rough shape this year. And uh, Claire Williams said, uh, coming this year, we knew where we, where we were ahead of time, and we knew, therefore, that we would need somebody, a driver with that level of engineering intelligence that could really help translate what was going on in the car back to the engineers and back into the factory. And that was a key reason why we brought him on board and has continued that process with the engineers. That doesn't guarantee him a race seat. Mm. That's also a thing you say when you're about to yeah. move someone to a development role problem is that f1 doesn't really have development drivers anymore like that is a i think I, most teams have eliminated that because you're not allowed to test so uh i hope that doesn't i like that they're giving kubica a, a vote of confidence and i think he probably is what a williams needs right now because they're not you're not at the point where the difference in competitive pace between him and russell means a damn thing about Williams Pace and F1. That's just, they are playing, like, they are basically playing, like, they're winning bar bets back there against each other, but they're not, they're, tr- they're trying to salvage a program, not not race. Yeah. Who would go to Williams? Like, it's, I've, I've never, there have been underperforming teams in the past, but they are so far off the pace. It's just absurd almost at this stage. I just, I can't. I mean, Listen, you, a young driver, you are, I guess, but you are blotting out the memory of HRT and <laughs> old school Lotus <laughs> yeah, and Caterham. Okay. Like now, uh, Caterham, I feel like we're a little bit more in touch than this HRT. I'll give you <laughs> HRT. You like the minute that car rolled out and it was like factory unpainted, and <laughs> it was like, oh, this doesn't seem like it's going to bode well. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, Williams needs an influx of cash and uh, a race-winning driver. And the last driver that they want to race with, Pastor Maldonado. Wow. I mean, and also, what's Rich Story going to... Or not Rich Story. I keep calling him Rich Story. Oh, my God. <laughs> Williams Story. What's Williams Story's new venture going to be? You know, what, what team is he going to buy next? I mean, now that you mention it, I think Pastor Maldonado lost his uh, uh, sponsorship from the Venezuelan government. So... That yeah, seems like he's also made it as an endurance driver, right? Like, yeah, that's true. Here's he's the, the thing: you know, we had to endure him for all those seasons, and now, well, this is the weird thing. Like, Takuma Sato was a disaster of a driver right. in every open wheel series he appeared in for the first few years of his life, uh, his, his racing life, but is turned into a really well regarded uh, racer. I think Maldonado's ended up in a similar place. Is the, mm. is the funny thing there? So. Some drivers are just better. Like you could say, Weber almost the same thing. I mean, he had some good seasons at Red Bull, but he was he was you know he was pretty prolific in endurance there for a while. If you could stick around long enough, yeah. get some ex- <laughs> you know, experience under the belt. Just a couple of bottles of Mountain Dew and you know, twenty four hours done. Should we take to some emails, you guys? Yeah. Uh, yeah, our first email up here from uh, Nathaniel Mischler. 
uh, is about Fernando Alonso's investment. Hey, boyos, just wanted to holler at you about something that may have slipped under your radar. On your British pre-race show, you fellas were chatting about how Fernando doesn't seem to invest his own money into anything. But may I present to you Fernando Alonso Racing Esport for RacingEsports.com, if you're looking for the URL. Featuring various esports drivers and content creators, the team has honestly (laughs) one of the best liveries I've ever seen. Notable ambassadors for the team are Matt Malone, my personal favorite iRacing streamer and overall a good hype man for the team, always talking about it on stream and showing an awkward handshake photo of him and Alonzo, and Jamie (laughs) Chadwick, former Williams test driver and current leader in the W Series. Quick note, not sure on the test driver thing because they're weak article says she's a test driver in 2019 but williams wiki just lists uh latifi and honestly i'm a little drunk right now there are a lot of typos here now they make sense and that's the most research i'm doing i don't know how much money fernando has personally invested in this as the team also carries a logitech sponsorship that leads me to think fernando is more of a figurehead but still kind of interesting that fernando technically runs an esports team P.S. I want Danny to kick my ass in a race around Baku in F1 2019. Patron races could be cool if you guys ever have matching free times or just with one or two of you. Just an idea. That's not a bad idea, but the problem is... Yeah. Coordination? No, no, nobody wants to be the... Nobody wants to be the stoffel of the Shift F1, like, (laughs) Patreon Racing League. Oh, man. I, I, I once I was once doing a race. I'm really bad in comparison to everyone on F1. I play with the wheel. I'm not so bad. But I was once in a race and somebody went, man, that's not the real Danny O'Dwyer, is it? And I was like 15th. Like I was spinning around <laughs> and I, I fucking quit. I was like, God, I can't. I can't deal with that. So obviously somebody who listens to the podcast. Just drop your voice uh, real low. It's Brad Shoemaker. I'm just on Danny's yeah. account. <laughs> uh, it helps that it's Danny Dwyer 2 because one is my, or the original one was my European account. You can't rename PSN ones. So, so I will say like an esports team at this level, that's not a real investment for, uh, you know what I mean? It's like, th- this is one of those, uh, it's very easy for somebody to be a figurehead. A lot of times what they're looking for is, uh, it- it's very, it's fairly low investment. At the same time, yeah. it's a good livery. And, it's so uh, good, isn't it? It's real, so multicolored, but it, it still works together. Yeah, I always feel like a lot of esports is just marketing in a different way. Like, it, you're just paying for exposure in some way it's kind of a bit of a hustle like some esports is like genuinely like you know competitive and all that sort of stuff but some of the lower stuff is just kind of another way of getting your brand out there a bit i think motorsports esports isn't going to be in a weird place though because you got this increasing anxiety about the fact that the pipeline is basically like serving up rich kids or you're an Ocon type who just basically gambles his entire family's like non-existent right. fortune on this sort of one in a million shot. And is that producing necessarily better drivers? Um, mm. Whereas would you be better off by just seeing who rises to the top of things like iRacing of things like F1, uh, you know, Codemasters uh, F1 esports, and then see who you can develop out of that. Uh, I think, it gets tricky because I don't think there's a lot of um, right now. They don't have those esports pipelines feeding into competitive open wheel series to sort of give these guys a fair shake. It doesn't seem like there is that. Remember that one Gran Turismo kid? Yeah, I always forget. Yeah, the, yeah there, there was that. 
Right. Yeah. It was a. Uh, I mean, maybe that's just the you know the like, one exceptional time it's happened. But it is interesting to see, like for instance, Lando Norris streaming the rate. You know, like the, the the gap is definitely closed. There's some sort of transferable skills there. Um, yeah. It's a. Uh, it's it's crazy. It's crazy. I, when will we have the first esports F1 champion? You know, it's uh yeah maybe not too too crazy an idea. Yeah, and speaking of W Series uh, that this email brings up, I think Jamie Chadwick is indeed uh, a Williams test driver now. Well, Latifi is in F2, right? They're both in... Uh, yes, he is, and Chadwick yeah. is in W Series. W Series, speaking of, like, finding talent, I think their structure in the way that they've organized the races from a rules perspective is accomplishing the objective of highlighting race talent so if right. if you um aren't familiar they this is the the women only racing series and they have you know 20-ish drivers they swap cars for every race you're never in the same car you are for oh, the yeah. weekend but not for the race and you also swap engineers and so it's like racing's key party <laughs> it's it's designed to take away any advantage other than racing skill and personally after having watched uh what are we at four races now i think three or four mm. the current standings are about the order that i would rank myself the driver's skills so i think wow. i think that's working uh it's it's a really interesting take one that i've never seen before i haven't done a lot of watching of you know uh other feeder series like formula three i haven't watched any i've watched mm. a significant number of formula two races but um yeah i think from that perspective w series is absolutely working so it's a it's still an experiment that i uh, uh i'm really curious to see how it how it turns out awesome should i take this next email yeah go for it all right Dimitri writes in and says, something you might find funny. I heard in a post-quality Will Buxton interview that Sport Pesa, a Kenyan betting platform and Racing Point sponsor, will donate 1,000 pounds sterling to charity for every place the Racing Point drivers make up during a race. What greater insult from your own sponsor than a <laughs> betting platform whose business model involves predicting results, offering to give away money if you perform well? Yeah, they kept answer, uh, asking uh, Lance Stroll this and <laughs> willed it in the pre and post race stuff, like saying, hey, at least you raised, you know, 3,000 pounds sterling <laughs> for this. I mean, charity. frankly, Stroll is the perfect guy to have in the car at that point, then, because he is terrible at qualifying, but somehow <laughs> right. makes up places <laughs> during the race. So he's doing it for the. <laughs> it really is a magic charity. Yeah. Yeah. Do it what for the guy. kids. What a lovely guy. Um, and then our last email this week from Jesse. Uh, I wanted to bring this up because the Formula E season, I don't want to say what happened or anything, but the Formula E season did come to its finale this weekend with the double header in New York. Um, and I guess Jesse did what a lot of people did and, and sort of uh, go back and watch a bunch of it. So uh, he starts his email by saying, Chain Bear had a video this week on the New York E Prix where he interviewed Formula E journalist Hazel Southwell. Um, I don't ever watched one Formula E race, but after watching the interview, I thought I'd give it another shot. Since basically the entire season thus far is available on YouTube for free, I dove right in. 
45 minutes plus one lap per race makes them very easy to binge. And oops, I watched eight races in an afternoon. (laughs) I think this actually literally happened to me last year as well. Um, And then finished up the race of the available races from the season the next day. After eight races, they had eight different winners from eight different teams and eight different pole sitters. I had an incredible time catching up with this bonkers season. I think Formula E might be the perfect racing series for a Netflix era, quick, exciting and eminently bingeable. The only thing I'm, it's missing is the nyum. Uh, yeah, and I, I think I think that's you know Jesse put it perfectly. I think if you have not been watching this year's uh, season, even if you know who won at the end, I think the opening it's so easy to watch this thing. There's so many different highlight packages of it, but even if you just watch the races, um, they're they're pretty short. Uh, but there was so much happening in those early races that um, it is kind of the perfect pick up and binge racing series because uh, there's also not that many races it's not like formula one where there's 20 odd races um uh, there's a i forget how many there is exactly it's like 12 some, or something 12 or 10 yeah it's called, yeah i think it might be there's a bunch of double headers in there too um yeah and the other thing about formula e is that it has consistently gone to the last race you know if if not the the penultimate it could land on um then you know one we have that we've had multiple series where the the ending has been completely bananas um and there was a lot of drama at the end of this one too actually um so yeah uh, thanks for the email jesse and I, I i could not agree more we have slight breaking news Oh, okay. oh gosh. Quick. Can I just if ask first? I need to prepare myself, Rob. Is this about... Yeah, of course, of course it is. Oh, God. Of course it is. Oh. Uh, so, right. this is from Autosport, <laughs> uh, from Adam Cooper. And a uh, listener uh, just sent us this on Twitter. Uh, a lot of it covers stuff we've already known, but... Rich Energy's registered address was originally changed earlier today from Story's Richmond base to a London company called the BDG Group. Shortly afterwards, a second piece of paperwork was logged, which omitted the BDG Group name while retaining the same Notting Hill address. The BDG Group's involvement in Rich slash Lightning Vault is unclear. However, the company's website says that as the, quote, UK's leading unlicensed insolvency practitioners, we offer a genuine alternative to our clients, which will give you a clean bill of health going forwards. Your reputation will be intact and will deal with all the outstanding issues. The website adds, we will acquire your company and you can resign and let us handle everything from that point on. Our team of lawyers, accountants, and specialist negotiators will deal with everything, from preparing financial reports and negotiating with your creditors, to attending any necessary insolvency meetings. We will present your former business and your role in it to all your stakeholders in the most favorable light possible. That is, that's, that's the end of Rich Energy, is it? That sounds like the end of everything. <laughs> like, what... What does the BDG group give back to you at the end? Your credibility, Rob. Yeah, but like possibly <laughs> not a business with like much remaining value. Yeah. Like that that like whatever is happening this sounds um this may not just be a clean shift for the old. They may not just be changing flagships and transferring over to Lightning Bolt. Uh, this sounds that doesn't sound great. 
honestly. That that sounds so was like that, was that rich or energy or was that lightning vault or was it both? So the lightning vault was registered to this company, the BDG oh, Group. Yeah. No. So yeah. So it actually sounds like. And people can write in who understand this this business stuff better than we do and, and sort of UK bankruptcy law. But it certainly sounds to me like the entire business has basically gone into receivership of a bankruptcy law firm, an accounting firm. And that's who basically is going to be running the ship from, from this point forward. So, yeah. Um, what a beautiful dot, dot, dot. For the yeah. end of this ridiculous. If anyone process. sees so, so, Lightning Volt, can send it to us immediately. Yeah. Oh please, <laughs> yeah. I want to taste that juice. Uh, so Lightning Volt is. Do you think this is that's what this group came up with? Like no one will ever know that anything was ever wrong with your company. Yeah. Except I think if it was that clean, if you could just, if you could just say, okay, we're making a different energy drink and we're all good. I'm not sure you would necessarily need to be doing dealing with all this other creditor shit. Uh, this sounds like these are the people you hire when you've got like somehow both white bikes and Gene Haas like knocking down your door. I'm curious. I'm I am dying to know. I really am. Could you imagine Gunter Steiner knocking on your door? I would pay uh, that man. Like he, he, <laughs> I could see him being a really effective collections agent. Yeah, not because be he's going to kick your ass, but like he just wouldn't. You look like up. a bunch of fucking wankers. Yeah. <laughs> well, if you would like uh, to explain to us uh, about bankruptcy proceedings, you can email us at oh. shiftf1podcast at gmail dot com uh, or hit us up on Twitter at shiftf one podcast. I am at Drew Scanlon. That's at Danny O'Dwyer and at Rob Zapney. Zachney. That's us around the internet. Should we take it around the world, Danny? I think it's probably time to race around the yeah. Speaking of W series, we have two count them two races Ooh. this weekend. Uh, starting on Saturday, they're in. Um, Assen, the Netherlands, at uh, the TT Circuit Assen, which is one of my favorite circuits. Mm. They are racing on Saturday and then doing a non-championship race with a reverse grid on Sunday. So I think that'll be fun. Uh, they are paired with cool. DTM. Are you a DTM? Oh. Are also at Circuit Assen? Are you a DTM in Assen? <laughs> <laughs> the IMSA WeatherTech Championship uh, is at Lime Rock in Lakeville, Connecticut. Wow, that sounds, that sounds like a dangerous place to build a racetrack. <laughs> Limestone Rock in Lakeville. Let's put a racetrack here. It'll last the test of time. <laughs> little geology joke there for my friends. Iowa Speedway is hosting IndyCar for the Iowa Corn 300. Uh, the <laughs> NASCAR <laughs> Xfinity Series is at the New Hampshire Motor Speedway for the Lakes Region 200. Uh, World Superbike is at Laguna Seca. In Ooh. Monterey, California. The NHRA is at Bandamere Speedway uh, in Morrison, Colorado for the Dodge Mile High Nationals. Nice. And we got NASCAR. Oh, my. They're also at the New Hampshire Motor Speedway in Loudoun, NH for the Foxwoods Resort Casino 301. <laughs> Place your bits. It's getting loud and louder. Uh, if you'd like to support the show, you can do so at patreon.com slash shift F1. 
Uh, again, we've got uh, this part two of our Drive to Survive series up there, uh, as well as a uh, little, little F1 2019 footage mm. that Danny put together, in case you're yeah, was fun. thinking about picking up that uh, that game, which is getting rave reviews from two people on this podcast. I haven't put nearly the yeah. hours that you guys have into it yet, but... Um, it's good stuff. Yeah. Uh, thanks, everyone, for joining us. Uh, go find some... Find some energy drinks. I don't Go know. Go find a place Lightning to lie vault. down. Yeah. Lightning. Lightning vault. Lightning vault. Is that what they say in that old video? Yep. Yep. That's exactly yep. what they That's say. That's how you vanquish your creditors. <laughs> <laughs> Have a good race weekend, everyone. We will see you all next week. Yeah.